May the Lord give us a vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse number 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no perspective, realizing what's at stake, realizing what matters most. Living in the light of eternity, lost souls will die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. The lost do not die and go to hell because it's God's fault. The lost die and go to hell because it's our fault. The Lord Jesus Christ has done his part. He's died on the cross, and his will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And now we have the privilege of being able to share this love, share this hope, share this grace, share this story of redemption with those around us. We've already emphasized that this week, and we'll be getting more into that tonight. And may our hearts burn for reaching every single human being with the gospel. God would not give us the great commission, calling the individual and commissioning the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature if it was something that could not be humanly accomplished. Now, we can't do it in and of ourselves, but God can do it. And I believe that every single one of us should function and live as if we're the only human being on the planet reaching the entire planet with the gospel. Would you join with me to the book of Acts? This is where we're going to be tonight. And early this morning when God woke me up, uh, the Lord brought this passage of Scripture to my attention, Acts chapter number 18. Acts chapter number 18. And as I was studying this text, the Lord gave me some truths and some thoughts this morning that I pray will be an encouragement to you tonight as it's blessed my soul and stirred my heart. In Acts chapter number 18, verse number 9 and verse number 10, these thoughts the Lord gave me this morning Concerning getting a vision from God. I know that the Lord does not speak to us through visions in the sense of how God spoke to Paul. However, we can certainly take this passage and use it by application. And just as Paul received a vision from the Lord and God gave Paul a heavenly perspective of what he desired and designed for Paul to be engaged in, oh, how wonderfully we can apply that to ourselves tonight. That God desires for us to see a heavenly perspective, to notice things and view things as he sees them. Notice the perspective and the view, the vision, the focus that God gave Paul in Acts chapter number 18, verse number 9, verse number 10. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Father, we come before you tonight. We're so grateful for the joy of being able to gather together. Lord, we come with hearts that are hungry. We come, Lord, emptying ourselves of ourselves in desperate need of you. We do not come with a preconceived idea of what this passage is trying to teach, but Lord, we come completely broken contrite, humble, desiring for you to feed us and to fill us. And I pray that as you give this measure of truth to us tonight, that it will flow through us and it will affect our lives and this will transform us more into your image. I pray tonight that you would give us a vision. Help us to not lose a vision. When we lose our vision and that heavenly perspective and that view as you would have us to live with that eternal focus People will perish. Lost souls will die and go to hell. We will perish. We will fizzle out. We'll never reach our full potential of what you've designed us for, that purpose of our life. 
Oh God, I pray that you would take a hold of these truths, implement them deep within our hearts, and I pray that it would bring forth fruit in the days, weeks, even years to come as we seek to govern and guide ourselves with the truths that you gave Paul. May they be applied to us tonight. Now, Holy Spirit of God, we need your power. We look to thee. We depend entirely upon thee. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I believe tonight that a Christian or a church is on its deathbed when its memories of the past are greater than its vision for the future. God does not desire his people to constantly look in the rearview mirror. Rather, we can glean from the past and we can grow from the mistakes in the past. We can look to the past and see, just as God did a work then, God can most capably do a work now, today. And if God could work in yesteryear, may we desire, as we've already preached this week, the rent heavens and the outpouring of glory. But the Bible teaches us very clearly that we are to forget those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 talks about this. How the testimony was given as we preached last night. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. A vision, a pursuit, a desire to go forward for God. A heart that does not want to become stagnant. A life that will not lose momentum. A life that's not going to become monotonous and the rut of things, if you will. But a life that is constantly seeking to reach forth and run forth. A heart, as we sang tonight, that is resolved to go completely and fully forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. Lord, give me a vision. Help me to see as you would have me to see. Help me to gain a heavenly perspective on things, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 18, that we are to not look at the things which are seen, but rather to look for the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Oh God, would you give us a view of what matters most? God, help me to understand what you would have me to do as we seek to go forward, knowing that you've never asked and you've never called the Christian to the church to go backwards, but it's always onward, upward, forward. I believe there's three types of churches. There's a missions mode or a mission mode type church where there's a drive, there's a desire, there's a determination. As the Bible testifies in Daniel 11, verse number 32, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. These are people that are not anemic in their faith, not anemic in their fervency, not anemic or erratic in their heart's desire to go forward for God, but rather they know who God is. They realize that he is victorious and omnipotent and nothing is too hard for him. He specializes in the supernatural and the miraculous and the desire of God to to be unleashed in their lives, in their community, in their hearts, in their homes. They want to experience God to the maximum and they want to be able to, yes, know God in their head and in their heart, but they also want to know God by their hands. God doing a work, a mission mode church. A church that's not lost its drive, its desire and determination. That's certainly the type of church that we ought to be, amen? A church that has a mission, and we do have a mission. We do have things worth living for, and it's not of this earth. It is not of the realm of the temple, but rather it is of the supernatural and of the heavenly. And praise God that we get to be a part of something that will make a difference and that will leave a mark and that will be used of God to leave a ripple effect, I believe, in the generations to come as we faithfully seek him and serve him. There's also this type of church. There's a maintenance mode church. 
a church that's just trying to maintain what they've had for all these years, and they're just trying to keep their head above water. They're treading water and trying not to drown because there's just so much that's inundating them, so much that's overwhelming them, and they're just trying to keep it the way it's always been. This is dangerous because a church like this will deteriorate and become weary in the well-doing as we preached last night. There's a mission mode church. There's a maintenance mode church. There's a mortuary mode church. The church is absolutely dead and lethargic. And I'm thankful tonight that God can take a heart that's cold. God can take a church that's dead. And God can bring life back into it again. Uh, it's wonderful. I just mentioned this past, I think, two weeks ago, as I was reading in my devotions, how that and there in the Old Testament, the Bible gives that true account and that story, not a parable, uh, but rather a true account of when God led the prophet to go down into the valley filled with dead bones, bleached underneath the hot sun, and how that there was no life in those skeletons. Of course, they were bones. They were dead. And God said, I want you to look. I'm going to speak. I'm going to breathe. I want you to work. And I want you to prophesy. And as a result of that, what happened? All of these bones became connected. This big heap of bones became connected. And God put the sinew and the muscle and the blood and all of the skin upon this army and once they were dead but now they were living fleshling beings god can take a heart of stone and replace it with a fresh new heart amen create a man a clean heart renew a right spirit within me O god and God can do that work, and even though a church, a life, a Christian may become dead and lethargic and completely apathetic and wasted away, God can take a church that's flatlining, God can take a church that's in a mortuary, and God can bring sweeping revival, and God can do a wonderful work. I'm thankful for that. Lord, give me a vision. Help me not to be in the mortuary. God, help me to not be in this maintenance mode that I feel myself stuck in. God, help me to have a mission. Help me to understand that you have a purpose for my life and a vision. God, I want you to help me to go forward in doing what you'd have me to do. And God came to Paul. It was in a season of his life where he was potentially, potentially distracted and potentially uh, swept away with discouragement because of what was taking place prior in this chapter. And we won't take the time to read it, but the Lord so lovingly came to Paul in the night and encouraged him and said, Paul, I want to give you my perspective on some things, and this is what I would have you to do. Just as he gave this to Paul, I believe God would have us to see these things tonight. And in brief, we can see it right off the bat in verse number nine, where the Lord says, son, don't be afraid, don't be scared. I know that there's the apprehension of the unknown. There's the concerns of what lies ahead of you and what lies around you. And I know that you can't see the future, but rest assured, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know what's best for you. I'm not going to lead you astray. I'm not going to lead you wrong. Trust me, son. Don't be scared. Don't give yourself over to fear. I suppose we could jot this down as God gave it to me this morning. Lord, give me a vision. What's God's vision? Number one, to live by faith. To live by faith. The opposite of fear is faith. We came through a season uh, in the world, and especially in America, where people were so gripped, and I'm not uh, being passive-aggressive by saying this, it's just a fact of the matter. People uh, in the church, outside the church, all over the place were fearful. They were scared. Apprehension. And God does not want us to be gripped by fear, governed by fear, but to be guided by faith. 
What time I am afraid, the Bible says, and we will feel fear, we will feel fear, we will face these things, and feeling fear is not a sin. Feeling fear is a natural human tendency of things, but feeling fear is not a sin. However, responding in a spirit of fear and making decisions and life choices based on fear, that is sin. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God does not want us to live and be governed uh, in a sense in which we're concerned in the sense of being scared and, I don't know, this and that and the other in a state of frenzy, but God would have us to be guided by faith. There's two different things that we could observe tonight. Uh, Fear says, I don't know what's happening. I don't know, God, what's taking place and we withdraw ourselves. And then there's the other that says, I don't know what's taking place. God, I don't know what's happening. What is it that you have? And instead of withdrawing ourselves, we extend the hand and we desire to hold his and let him lead us through the oblivion and through the unknown. God is saying, listen, Paul, I know that you're unaware and I know that you may be apprehensive, but I'm telling you, son, don't be afraid. No man is going to set on thee to hurt thee. I've got this. And even when we don't understand what God is doing, God always knows what he's doing. God's in control. He's still sitting on the throne. No one has dethroned God. He's still the king of kings and Lord of lords. And though the old devil likes to boast himself to be the prince and the power of the air. By the way, he's a force to be reckoned with and you are no match for the devil and neither am I but he is no match for our God though he boasts himself to be a prince of the power of the air God is still the king and God is still the ruler yet this is my father's world and this is the day that the Lord hath made we will rejoice and be glad in it and what time I am afraid you know what I'm not going to be gripped and governed by fear I'm going to be guided by faith what time I am afraid I will trust in thee What is faith? Various definitions that have been given to it. Some that God has used in my life and things that we've just cultivated over the years is faith is this. One aspect, faith is believing in an invisible God. I've never seen him, have you? And just as Jesus, pause there, just as Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, you've never seen the wind but you felt it. You've seen the effects of it. I've never seen God. One day my faith will become sight. And I, we will see him as he is. First John 3 talks about this. Verse number 2 and 3. We shall see him as he is. Even though I've never seen God, I believe in God. Our hearts burst, as the Bible teaches in the New Testament, uh, full of glory, full of glory, so excited, joy exceeding and full of glory. I've never seen God, but I have felt the effects of God. In my own heart and life, I've seen God work and I've seen God move. He's invisible. One day, he will be visible to us. And faith is believing in an invisible God to move and work in unknown circumstances for our good and for his glory. He always has our best interest in mind. He's always good, and he's only good. We referenced that last night, didn't we? 
We studied that about not losing our focus, but rather having the right view, the right view of God's kindness, God's goodness. I had fainted unless I had seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. And as we meditate upon the fact that God is always good, Psalm 52, 1, repeating it from last night, the goodness of God endureth continually. It's always ebbing. It's always flowing. And even when we can't see it or sense it, we can rest assured and be resolved as we sang tonight that God will always be good in spite of what might be spiraling out of control around us. I love what the Bible says, and there was a verse that just popped in my mind, and I can't quote it. I thought I could. It's on the tip of my tongue, but Chicken Alfredo is holding it back. Just let me read this to you here, if you'd be so kind to be patient with me just for another moment. And hopefully I can find it. Be a pretty bad sight if we can't. Psalm 46, just listen, where the Bible says, God is, ever in the present tense, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear? We're not going to be fearful. We're going to have faith. Therefore, will not we fear? Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and be swelling thereof, Selah. I mean, the whole world is falling apart. He's writing. But you know what? I'm not going to be scared. Rather, I'm going to experience Selah. Peace. Tranquility, calmness, and it's so wonderful and it rushes over my soul so gloriously. We're going to go back and think about it again. Yes, God is our refuge. Be still, the Bible says later in this text in Psalm 46, verse number 10. Be still and know that I am God. And praise the Lord tonight that God is still the same and he does not change. I am the Lord, he says in the book of Malachi. I change not. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we've emphasized already much this week, the same God of yesteryear and the same God who's performed supernatural miracles and glorious things in days of old is the exact same God upon the throne right now. And his vision for Paul was this, don't, don't be afraid. Son, I want you to live by faith. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. What a tremendous testimony she had. And she made this statement so wonderfully and how convicting it is. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I believe the more we get to know the Lord, the more resolved we'll be in our faith. Daniel, as we've already quoted, 1132, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. We're going out for the Lord and we're serving God by faith and we're going forward. God, give me a vision to not be filled with fear, but with faith. Number two, and moving along quickly tonight for the sake of time, the Bible says, continuing in this text, and there's so much more that could be said, so much more. We all know that. This is just a scratch on the surface. Really food for thought, so that way you can meditate upon this later. And while I was musing, as we already quoted this week from Psalm 39.3, while I was musing, the fire burned. Oh, God, help us to have a vision. Lord, what's your vision for our lives? It's to live by faith. To not walk by sight, but by faith. 
Number two, to live with a fervency. To live with a fervency. He continues here, be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Don't be silent, Paul. Don't be still. But rather, there's a message that needs to be preached. Man, go forth and please, he's saying, don't let your voice be hid in the chaos and in the confusion of all that's taking place around you, but lift up your voice as we find in Isaiah 58, verse number one. Cry aloud, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. A trumpet is a very distinct noise. You can hear it above the fray of the battle. You can hear it above all of the things and other instruments that may even be out there and, and such. And there's some instruments, as my wife and I work with the symphony orchestra and things, there's certain instruments that get lost in the mix, and we've got to make sure that mics are positioned right so that way we pick up the nuance of these various instruments and the woodmans and other areas and even violins in certain sections of uh, that orchestration. But there's one instrument that we don't have to turn up. Dun, 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 it's the trumpet. And when we're in that two-story recording studio and she's directing the orchestra and I'm in the uh, cockpit, so to speak, with the engineer, man, that trumpet, he's up all the way in the back and he's got all sorts of padding around him. Why? Because he's so loud that we don't want him bleeding onto all the other mics. We want to be able to just pick him up on his mic and not on the flute's mic. A trumpet is a very distinct sound. And by no mistake, God referenced that there in Isaiah chapter number 58, verse number one, to cry aloud. And as we cry and as we speak and we do not hold our peace, God is desiring his people to have a very clear voice above all the noise and above all the confusion and above all the chaos and above all the critical spirits, a noise that is heard and it is a very distinct Sound. The only way our sound as a trumpet can be distinct is if it's doctrine. If it's not, it's going to be all over the place. May God help us to be a people that are lifting the voice uh, to live with a fervency. Speak, speak, he says, and hold not thy peace. Stand up for what's right. Stand fast in the faith, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. May the Lord help us and may the Lord encourage us tonight and strengthen us tonight and edify us, build us up tonight, even exhort us if necessary with conviction uh, to have a voice that is still going to speak and that we will speak adamantly and passionately and lovingly and courageously and compassionately until we take our final breath. To realize, as the Bible says in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. The best is yet to come. Amen? But for to me to live is Christ. If I'm still sucking wind and drawing breath, God's not done with me yet. Amen? God still has a purpose for my life. He still wants to use me to project and to share and to speak things that need to be said in such a wayward and wicked world. If you'd be so kind, keep your finger here. Journey with me to the book of Jeremiah very quickly. Jeremiah chapter number four. Jeremiah chapter number four. What's God's vision for our lives? Just meditating upon this this morning and God literally blindsiding me with this text. I woke up very early this morning uh, uh, and uh, some things burdened in my heart uh, with some various projects that we have in our ministry right now. Uh, one being the film coming out in May this next month, Redeeming Hope. Uh, still a lot of work that needs to be done on that. And the Lord just woke me up early uh, and things and I enjoyed sweet fellowship with him and such. And the Lord said, you need to go to the book of Acts 18 tonight. I said, okay. Well, Lord, what is it that you want me to preach? 
And right there in that moment, just jotting it down, oh, that we would live by faith, that we would live with a fervency. Speak and hold not thy peace. Don't refrain thy tongue, but let it loose and preach what needs to be preached. Notice what the Bible says in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4, verse number 7. We can see the burden here. We see the vision. The lion has come up from his thicket. And taking this, if we could, very delicately and carefully and apply this to the roaring lion, the devil. He is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I understand that the lion here is talking about the nation that was coming against God's people. But certainly by way of application in this moment, we can certainly apply this to the devil, to Satan. He has come up from his thicket and the destroyer of the Gentiles, that's the devil, is he not? John 10.10, he's a thief that's come to kill, steal, and to destroy. The destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. You know, the devil's not playing games and the devil's not sleeping on the job. May the Lord help us to not play games. May the Lord help us to not sleep on our job. The destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate. Hello. <laughs> we see that happening. Society is being ripped apart at the seams, it feels like at times. It's all a spiritual warfare, all that we're facing politically and morally, economically even. Uh, all these things that we're facing, it's all the byproduct of a spiritual warfare that's raging in our country. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2, verse number 2, that there is a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And just as the Holy Spirit desires to move and work on the behalf of heaven and the kingdom of God and the sake of the gospel, there is an unholy spirit. There is a satanic presence that is actively working and moving in the hearts of the lost to wreck and ruin everything that this book stands for. 2 Corinthians 4, I'm trying to be as streamlined as possible here. 2 Corinthians 4 also gives us a glimpse into the spiritual warfare. God gives us a vision about what's taking place. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it's not hid to us. It's hid to them that are lost. For the God of this world, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of God should appear unto them. The devil is trying to keep people in darkness. The devil is doing everything he can to keep people in bondage. And God is imploring Paul, and I believe us tonight, I'm begging you, please speak. Hold not thy peace. Live with a fervency. There's a job that needs to be done as we preached last night and we get to be a part of it. He desires to come forth and make thy land desolate and thy cities shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. If the devil had his way, he would kill every single person. If the devil had his way, he would destroy every single marriage. If the devil had his way, he would defile the hearts and minds of every single young person at the earliest and youngest age as possible. That's why we're seeing all of this gender blending and confusion, and we're seeing all of this satanic warfare with uh, the uh, transvestites and all of these filthy, filthy abominations that are being so flagrantly on display and promoted and clapped for within our country. Notice now, and let's quickly go to verse number 19 of Jeremiah 4. The prophet observed these things, and when he saw these things, it stirred him. He said, my bowels, my bowels, oh my guts, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. 
I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Notice how this man was so spiritually stirred, it physically affected him. We find in Lamentations how his eyes affect his heart. And from that heart being affected, it put his feet in action and engaged him in prayer. There's so many things about that we could observe. But it stirred him. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If, eh, whatever, just a flippancy, not a fervency. We all know this to be true tonight. We're preaching to the choir. Lost souls will die and go to hell. They deserve to have the peace of God. They deserve to know of salvation and of Jesus Christ, just like we rejoice in. Amen. May the Lord help us to not sit idly by, as was said in the song, but may the Lord help us to stand and speak and share with them hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Everything this world needs and what our country needs can be found right here in this book. We preached about that on Sunday night. But notice he says, I am pained in my very heart. He had a heavy pain. May the Lord give us agony of spirit and heart again. May God give us anguish and soul travail again and not become calloused and indifferent by the excess and the overflow of iniquity and wickedness. Not only do you experience a heavy pain, but rather he also experienced heart palpitations. My heart maketh the noise of me. Have you ever experience something where your adrenaline was rushing so, so hard, you felt like your heart was beating outside your chest. Just in that moment, it was just the intensity of it. That's what he's talking about, in an intensity. There's an urgency, but there's also an intensity. And God is saying, Paul, speak. Hold not thy peace. Don't sit idly by. Don't be on the sidelines. Be on the front lines. Have a life that's not filled with flippancy or a careless, carefree spirit, but a heart filled with compassion and a heart filled with courage and a heart filled with conviction. And you are going to stand up and step forward and speak out. Praise God that every single one of us tonight has a voice. And God will use your voice. God will use you to make a difference. But we must have the right vision from God to live with a fervency. Do we have anguish? Have we lost it? Heart palpitations, when's the last time that we had a rapid, violent beating within our breast? There was red-hot passion for the cause of Jesus Christ. We see also, number three, his holy persuasion. I cannot hold my peace. Um, I cannot uh, sit idly by. I will not be silent. I've got to say something. I will not stand on the sidelines. I've got to do something. And may Faith Baptist Tabernacle never lose that drive. Amen. May God never uh, allow us to lose that determination as we sang tonight as a mighty choir and as silver saints and as soldiers of the cross and everybody in between. I am resolved no longer to limer, linger charmed by the world's delight. You know what? Things that are higher, things that are nobler, things worth living for and dying for, these have a Lord my sight. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Lord, give me a vision to live by faith, to live with a fervency. Very quickly, back to Acts chapter number 18 tonight. I'm so thankful for this passage of Scripture. And just as God was seeking to give Paul this heavenly perspective for life, God seeks to give us the same heavenly perspective. 
Now in verse number 10, the Bible says, for I am with thee. I believe number three, God's desire for us to see is this. Number three, to live in fellowship with God's presence. To live in fellowship with God's presence. Just because God is with you and me, are we in fellowship with him? Do we ignore his presence? Do we desire and plan to do these things in our own strength, our own flesh, our own intuition, our own ability, or are we yielded to him? Are we surrendered to him? Is God working through you? Is God working through me? God says, I am with thee. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But there's a difference between God being with us and God working through us. God will not be able to work through us unless we are completely yielded and surrendered unto him. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, where he testifies, I am crucified with Christ. I've taken my life, my ambitions, my goals, my dreams, my everything, my career, my everything, and I'm crucifying it. I'm slaying it every single day. I'm not living for this or that or the other. I'm living for Christ and Christ alone. This career that I live, it's because God has led me to do it, and it's in his will, and we're being yielded to his will and engaged in his will. But this, as we said the other day, is not the end of things, but a means to an end to fulfill an eternal calling. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, I'm not the one doing the living, but Christ liveth in me. Now as I'm yielded to Jesus, I know he's with me, but I'm not kicking him to the curb. Uh, God, I have him 100%. Praise God, he's here. But does he have 100% of me? And God's vision is, please, I'm begging you to live in fellowship with my presence. I am with thee. We have 100% of God, but does God have 100% of you? Now this life that I live in the flesh... Man, this is not me, but it's Jesus Christ. My hands are now an extension of the hands of God. It's his hands working through me. My eyes are not seeing in my carnal state, but rather it's the eyes of God. This heart that beats, it's the heart of God. This mind that thinks, it's the mind of Christ. These feet that go forward, oh, it's God directing me and God indwelling me and God working through me. May the Lord help us to have a desire to be in fellowship with his presence. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by this book, by the faith of the Son of God, who, oh, by the way, loved me and gave himself for me. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. This agape relationship, he loved me, and we love him because he first loved us. It's a head over heels, infatuation, captivation, fascination, as we preached the other day. Some of this message is being a a repeat, amen? And God is dovetailing things together. Wow, we're driven, and we're uh, determined, not because of duty, but delight and desire. It's the love of Christ that is motivating us and moving us and compelling us. Wow, the fact that I can get up in the morning, and I can put my feet on the floor, and it's not me. Me facing the day, but it's God facing the day through me. So bring it on. If God be for us, who can be against us? It's overwhelming. The outward man perisheth. But the inward man is renewed day by day because of that reviving, refreshing, renewing 
reinvigorating, reigniting presence and power of God in us and upon us. God's vision tonight for each and every one of us is to live by faith, to live with a fervency, to live in fellowship with God's presence. May the Lord encourage us in these things. To have a vision, number four, and lastly, as we'll conclude tonight in Acts 18, verse number 10, God says, Paul, I have much people in this city. What is the this city God has given you? We think about this area of Sacramento. I say this very carefully. But it is the seat of power for this state. One of the most, I mean, I'm from New York, so I, I think New York is more liberal than California, but one of the most liberal, godless states in the entirety of the world. And God is telling you, hey, don't lose focus or fire. I have much people here that need help and hope. And I'm going to use you to bring them that help and hope. Don't you quit on me, my child. Don't you grow weary in the well-doing or faint. You stay after it. All these messages are dovetailing together, and I, <laughs> I love how God does that. It's the Lord that's been leading these things together as we stay sensitive to him with all the preparation and preaching. God is saying, I have much people in this city. God has used it. How long has this church been here? How long has the church been here? That's a long time. And I don't believe God wants any single church to slow down or shut down. He want, we're a part of the body of Christ and God lives. He doesn't die. God desires his church to go forward. I, if I may say tonight, I believe and I don't say this just to blow smoke. I mean this. I believe the best days of this church are yet to come. Sure, there's seasons. There's always seasons of things. Let's not get weary in the well-doing. What we're doing is worth doing. Let's do it well. Live by faith. Live with a fervency. Live in fellowship with God's presence. We can't do this. We need God to do it through us. Number four, to live for the furtherance of the gospel. I have much people in this city, Paul. I need you. You're vital unto victory. If you're not there, and if you don't stay after with the vision that I want you to have, then who will fill your shoes? Live for the furtherance of the gospel. America is in a mess. Our culture is dying and going to hell. But the gospel is the antidote to all the chaos and the confusion. And the gospel is the answer to men's need in the depths of their soul. We have this message of truth and of love and of salvation and of truth. And may God help us to not lower it, but to lift it up and to lift it high, to stand up and to speak up and to be an individual that will say, yes, God, use me, even as we sung tonight. If you noticed in some of the stanzas of the hymns that we sang by way of congregation, God, I understand, I see it, and I want to live for you, oh God. God faithfully to my final breath, reaching this old world with what matters most, the gospel. Don't just pass them by. 
They all need the truth. Jesus died for everyone. Praise the Lord. Not just for you. If we're guilty of it, while we sit idly by, people will die. They need to hear the truth from you. Don't pass them by. 